Hello fellow Vermonters, my name is Bryce Aldrich, and joining me on this fine Vermont day are my colleagues Hayden Patrick and Matthew Menard. How are you boys doing today? I'm doing pretty good today, Bryce. How about you? Friggin' amazing. Oh, I'm just living the absolute dream right now. <laughs> loving, it, loving every minute of it. Good, great, great. Alright, this podcast is the first of many sponsored by PBS. This is Liquid Gold. So sharpen up those ears and roll a fatty. We got some stuff you aren't going to want to miss. The three of us are graduating seniors at Lake Region Union High School. Well, that's if this podcast goes well. The three of us are free-spirited Vermonters. That stick to what we believe in and nothing else. Now, one thing that we take super seriously is our dang breakfast. And there's nothing better than waking up on a Saturday morning with some fresh eggs from our own chickens, milk from our own jerseys, and maybe some venison sausage. Now, we're missing one key ingredient, maple syrup. Which leads us to the question, why has maple sugaring changed so dramatically in the past 50 years? On today's episode of Liquid Gold, we're going to have multiple interviews from maple sugaring professionals. But before we get started with that, we're going to, you know, have a little roundtable discussion here with our, uh, just the three of us, actually. Uh, how about you start, Menard, and you tell us about uh, your experience in the Sugar Shack. Well, Bryce, I'm 18 years old, so I don't have as much experience as the old men that are running their own sugar houses, but I've been around it enough to answer any questions you might have. Okay. Well, let's make this, uh, I'll give you an easy question. What is, like, the hardest part? What do you think is the most challenging day? Like, when you get up and you know you're going to be sugaring all day, what's the thing you're going to dread the most? Uh, well... It depends on it depends on how your sugar bush is set up, but in my experience in my experience I think that fixing leaks and checking for leaks on a pipeline is the thing that I most dread because you're just spending the whole day hoping to find a hole and if you don't you're just walking through the woods aimlessly. Some of our viewers or listeners that uh, back home may not know what a pipe is. You might want to describe what that is. Well, uh, pipeline sugaring is in many ways easier than uh, using buckets. Um, sugar makers tap their trees the same way, but rather than having a bucket hung on the tree, there is pipeline strung to every single tree in their bush. And it all runs right down into their sugar sugar house. So the next interview we're going to have is with our good friend Evan Ankle here. Him and his father own their own uh, shack. Actually, you guys have your own uh, company, is that right? Yep, we got 10,000 top operation. Nice. What's, uh, what's the name of your company? Ankle Bros Liquid Gold. That's right, that's right. You know, I personally bought some barbecue sauce off you guys. Oh, most mint stuff I've ever put on my goddamn burger. All right. 
So tell us a little bit about your operation. Uh, we started probably five, six years ago, just a little operation, like 100 taps, and then we worked up to 1,000 taps, and now we're at 10,000. So we just keep growing. It's fun. Yeah. Um, so I got some questions for you. Uh, what would you say is probably the hardest part about the sugaring season? Uh, probably tapping. Tapping really sucks. You got to go through the snow and fix all your lines before the season. So, yeah, that's definitely the hardest. And how new is your equipment, you would say? Uh, all our new stuff that we upgraded to is three years old. That's not bad. That's not bad. You ever had to do it the old-fashioned way, you know? No? You ever done well, it? Well, yeah. One year we had a wood-fired arch, but now we're all oil. And we have an RO now. <laughs> Some might say the, the oil isn't the best way to go, but... Oh, come on. Get bent, right? Talk about your uh, let's talk a little bit more about that RO system. Now, tell me why you dread it so much. Uh, I like the RO because it cuts down boiling time because you take all the water out, or most of the water out. Instead of boiling 40 gallons of sap for a gallon, we boil like two or three gallons of sap for one gallon of syrup. So it cuts it down a lot. I would never go back to not having an RO because it's kind of wasting your time almost. Understandable. Now, do you guys, how much time would you say you sell a year? How much sap? Or syrup? Syrup, sap. Yeah, we make around 4,000 gallons a year right now. We're trying to add on, we're trying to be up to 30,000 tops eventually. Then we'll be making around 10,000. So do you sell just locally or is there... Yeah, we keep uh, probably 300 gallons and my mom bottles it and sells it different ways, barbecue sauce or salad dressing and then we sell the rest in drums to a guy in Morseville. Nice. nice. Uh, is he like part of a big business? Yeah, he or? distributes for Walmart and Target. Yeah, Target. Really? Yeah, he distributes for them guys. Alright, I got one more question for you. How easy would you say it is for someone to start, you know, a uh, you know, a production um, of sap? Like, if I wanted to, it's a say, hobby. Yeah, next spring, I just wanted to start doing this. How easy would it be for me to start producing and selling? Um, you'd have to tap quite a bit of trees if you want to like sell. But if you want to make some just for yourself, it wouldn't be that hard. Get some buckets. You can boil it over the stove or something. But. Well, thank you for being on this episode of Liquid Gold, Evan. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It was fun. All right. See you later, man. See ya. Vermont, in particular, is well-suited to this boasting the highest per-tap syrup yield in the U.S., an average of roughly 25% higher than other states in New England in 2014. Vermont produced a gallon of syrup for every 3.24 taps. The downside to this production is a lower price. Vermont taps more than twice as many trees as any other state but has one of the lowest average per gallon prices, second to only Maine. At roughly $35 a gallon for bulk wholesale in the past few years. Retail, however, is much more lucrative. The local prices are consistently in the $50 through $60 gallon range. With a population of only around 600,000 in the state of Vermont, there's only so many people to sell to. 
forcing maple producers to look nationally and internationally. Improvements to technology, particularly mobile technology and online retail, as well as distribution networks, are making this all the easier and accessible. All those involved in the industry see tremendous potential for growth. Uh, hello, fellow Vermonters. We have a new guest today. His name is Roland Woodard. He's an ex-teacher at Lake Region Union High School. How you been today, Roland? Good. Good. Retirement, you're always good. If you wake up, it's a good day. Um, yeah, so I have a question. How do you think that sugaring has developed in the last 50 years? Well, when we first started, uh, we begged, borrow, and stole equipment to get started. Uh, it was all, everybody used buckets. When we first started sugaring, there was no pipeline. There was no such thing as an IRO. None of that existed. And so everybody used buckets. And so when do you think that the pipeline came into play? That came in about, it first started showing up about, uh, let's see, 1975. You first started seeing people try it. And when they first started it, there were no pumps. They, it was all gravity feed off pipeline. And so it had to be on a side hill. And they re, the way they got suction out of their holes was when the tree started to run, the liquid would go down the pipeline. That would create a suction yeah. behind it. To this day, do you still use buckets? Yeah. How many did you start with? when you first started triggering? Oh, when we first started, we were fooling around with 50. And we were just using a little thing. And then we bought a, a 3 by 8 And we put up about two, 300. But at that time, the sugar place was a lot different than it is now. It had a lot of really big, and I'm talking three, four foot through, uh, maples from what is called the sheep period in Vermont history. In other mm -hmm. words, these were maples that have been there since the 1830s, 1820s, 1830s. So a long time. When that was pasture, sheep pasture, and so they were huge, and they were they ran well, and they were sweet. But un what unlike what tree huggers think, trees don't live forever, and so I think most of those are gone. My son, we, he cut firewood for the four years he was in college to mm -hmm. help pay that, and. He, like on some of these big trees, he'd count rings and he'd get to 150, 175, and then mm -hmm. it'd get so close together he couldn't count them anymore. So these were really old, big trees. And they ran really well and stuff. Then as they kind of phased out, we came more second growth. Um, you know, we at our biggest point, we got up to 800. When it was, it was really a business at that point. Mm -hmm. A commercial business. And, and then to this day, do you... Do traditional wood or do you do oil or no pellet? still still do wood there's no power at the sugar house there's no power so it's now i have a generator now when um i waited until they came out with what i call a suitcase generator mm -hmm. those they're quiet they'll run lights they'll run a radio and they would run a they would run a oil fire to set up if i wanted to mm -hmm. but i kind of like firing it's kind of a challenge to... Yeah. More of a tradition. Yeah, and it's a skill, too. I mean, there's not much skill to turn it on a... Right. <laughs> to turn on a modern piece of equipment. It's a switch. 
So, today, how do you feel it's different as far as producing and selling compared to back in, like, the 60s? Well, see, because I'm still buckets with um, wood-fired, all of my syrup is sold before it's even made. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no syrup for sale right now. It's all got it, Oh, wow. Except what I kept for ourselves. It's, except McFarland. Do you remember McFarland? Mm-hmm. You might remember her. She hasn't picked up her order yet. She's just as... No, I shouldn't say that. She, <laughs> she, she hasn't remembered to pick it up yet. How many gallons do you usually draw off in a season? We usually... We tap 400, and because it's now second growth, uh, we make about one to five fancy in grade A. Most of it's fancy. Full 40 gallons. What's Drum, that? Your forty gallon drums. Well, it's all canned. I canned it at the sugar house, so it goes into the gallon and half gallon jugs at the sugar house, which is the way I like it. I don't have to fart around with drums, and Good. it's all sold. So it's just a lot easier. Like right now, now that I got the first tier of sugar wood done, which is seventeen feet long and twelve feet high. Once that's done, I can sugar next year with what I've got for sugar wood already. I usually cut another half tier. Mm-hmm. to have some left over. How many quarts do you think you burn? Uh, they usually, let's see, that first tier is about two and a half cord. And we had a little bit, this was a particularly sweet year, very efficient. Very odd because had trouble getting draft, and that may have actually made it more efficient because there was so much frickin' snow, because there was five feet of snow on the ground up there when I tapped. And on three sides of the sugar house, the snow was up to the eaves. So to get draft, I'd have to open the door in order to get yeah. some air coming in to get some draft. And I also had to run a generator more because there's four windows and three of them were plugged with snow. So once the sun started going down, it yeah, got it was, dark in a hurry. Dark, yeah. What do you find to be the hardest thing about sugaring? The hardest or what I dislike the most? That's not either the same or. question. Yeah, no, or. it's not the same question. Well, you can answer both. Yeah. yeah, we could do both. Well, which one do you want first? Let's go with whatever you feel like talking about. No, you ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do, you, what do you personally find the most irritating part? Cleaning the rig. That's worse than washing buckets. I would yeah. have to second that. I'll Cleaning draw. a rig is awful. Because I'm fussy. I mean, you know, we, I do the clean. I do it alone. I do the cleaning. And then I'm very fussy and I go back through. And I actually keep part of the cleaning fluid in a couple of glass jars. And then parts that didn't quite clean, I'll scrub <laughs> them with that. And then you have to rinse it all off again. And, but my first syrup that I take off in the fall, in the spring, I can sell. It doesn't taste any different than if you'd have tasted some of the syrup I brought. How old is your arch? Uh, 12 or 13 years old. So it's an older style? It's not well, it's, it's a, no, it's actually, uh, we started with that ancient 3 by 8 with, without the raised flu. Yeah, so. Because there were no raised flus when we started. And then we went to a, how big was that rig? That was a 4 by. Probably 12. No, 4 by 8. Mm-hmm. And um, that was stainless. That was the first stainless steel rig, but they didn't TIG weld in those days yet. Yeah. So everything Still was soldered. everything mm-hmm. was coal soldered. They had gotten rid of the lead solder, mm-hmm. yeah. so they coal soldered it, which meant that certain fixtures 
you had they Bucky Shelton would have to come back and Cole Sauter it again because Cole Sauter, you know, it's not like Lex Sauter. It doesn't, hold up. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't it hold, hold up. You have to keep t- patching it. And then we went to a four by twelve with a nine foot flu pan, raised flu. That thing would boil. When that thing got hot, man, that thing. And then when um, my son went off to college, that was the end of the slave labor. So, uh, you know, and it couldn't get kids to help gather anymore because the ones who knew how to work already had jobs. Yeah, right. And so uh, we, no sold that, so, we sold that rig to somebody from Albany. I can't remember his name. And um, we weren't able to sugar the next spring because we took a year to sell the rig. And so we helped Kenny Borland. My son went over and yep. helped him gather for one year. And then um, I got this two and a half by eight, but it's it's the modern Lapeer rig. In other words, you switch sides. Mm-hmm. It's the, the, there's an example of the difference. It used to be that when you'd switch sides on a rig, you couldn't be boiling because you had to physically move some things. And you couldn't move them while it was boiling. Yeah. Unless you were stupid. <laughs> and now, like these rigs, what they've got is you can change through valves. Yep. While you're boiling. You just got to let it cool down a little bit. And it works best to do it right after you take off. Mm-hmm. And then you can switch sides fairly easily. And the other thing, like the little things on this, like they figured out that when you put sap into a flue pan it would tend, the coal sap would run along the outside. And so it wouldn't boil, you were wasting boiling. Plus you'd then get sap that really hadn't boiled very much coming all the way around and coming into your front mm-hmm. pan. So they have these things now that are like V's and you push them down in and it forces the sap to go out where the heat is, stay oh. away from the outside. That's interesting. And, and that makes a bit, I mean, yeah, it, you wouldn't think it'd make much difference, but it really does make a difference. So what do you think makes sugaring so hard to the point where not everybody does it? Well, it, it kind of depends on, on, you know, like if you've got a gazillion 30,000, like Coburns, if you're like, what are they up to, 40, 30? They're around 40, yeah. yeah they're right uh, up there. 40,000 taps coming in and it's a big run, you're going to be busy, even with yeah. arrows. You're going to be busy because if you go up there, they got one guy doing nothing but running the arrows, mm-hmm. one guy doing nothing but taking syrup off, at least one, if not two guys doing nothing but changing filters. And somebody moving the barrels around because they're filling a barrel every hour. Right. Minimum. Yeah, at least. At least. So, you know, it, it's, it's when it runs. Like I have a little bit more flexibility. It's very time consuming. Yeah, well, see, because what I do is I've got storage enough for 700 gallons. i got 250 in the sugar house, 300 in the backup shed a little further up, mm-hmm. 150 in the dumping station tank, and then the rig, the gathering tank on the ranger holes, 80, 90. So, and plus you got buckets, and that you can use that for storage too. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to, I don't stay up boiling at night anymore. No, you just gather them and do it the next day. Well, I might boil till say nine, ten o'clock. I don't boil late because I'm up there alone. I'm too damn old to do that. And it doesn't, the flavor won't change. No. And the color won't change. No. So, um, usually. So that's, you know, I usually will start boiling. And now that I'm retired, didn't work out this year because of the damn snow depth. 
But, you know, one of the things I could do is I could start gathering by myself. Because on the ranger, we have tracks, mm-hmm. obviously, or we wouldn't be going through five feet of snow. <laughs> and then we also have, uh, actually, um, the janitor. Patrick? No, the other one. Eddie? BJ. BJ. BJ took a, uh, you know, a carrier like you can put on any trailer hitch. Mm-hmm. He took it and then he modified it so it would fit between the tracks. Oh. And I got a 30-gallon tank that I can set in there. So, like, because when we're gathering with the group, somebody, the first person back gets up onto the ranger and then dumps it in. Mm-hmm. Because the odd, and this was not planning on my part, it was just shit luck, is the back tracks are bigger so they stick out and they're longer and you can just walk up them like a ladder, like yeah. a ramp, and step up on. I wouldn't want to be carrying a five-gallon pail of sap when I did that, nope. but, you, but you can do that. Well, if you're alone, that doesn't work very well. So I got that. When I retired, I uh, got, got this 30-gallon tank to set, that would set in that and figured, well, I can fight around 30 gallons. And if I get 100 done before the help gets here, mm-hmm. that just speeds things up. And I love to gather sap. That's my favorite part is gathering sap. You like the gathering part? More I than... love gathering sap. What do you love so much about it? I think it's being, I think there's two things. One is being outside in the spring. Right. Now, I won't say that every day is fun to be out there gathering. Not at all. Especially this spring. Yes. But if you get a nice sunny day and it's nice and quiet, it's peaceful. Peaceful, it's fun to do. And the other thing is it allows me to keep track of the trees. Because the rule of thumb is you get two, if you stop running, you have one year to recover. And if not, you're firewood. Really? Yeah. Well, you don't want trees that aren't running, yeah. sucking up nutrients. You want to mm-hmm. get them out of the way so the young ones coming in. Because that, where my sugar place is, the soil is particularly rich. And so if you give them room, they'll, they will really grow quickly. So now your sugar bush, is that's something that you had bought or did you actually like plant all your trees and then no no this sugar place on the on the fire on the woodshed door there's a list of the first boil for every year going back to 1951 that's cool so you can kind of see production rate. well you can kind of get a sense of fluctuations and cl- and weather too yeah because there's been i don't know if it's happened re- very recently with climate change but it used to be not unusual for us really not to boil until April. Mm-hmm. And like the last two years, uh, it was like the 26th of March, 27th of March before we started tapping. And last year we started on the 27th, boiled for the first time on the 29th, and boiled for 11 straight days. And we broke the record last year. Not this year, but the year before the year broke before. the record kind of crazy to think about how much it's changed even like just the weather itself oh yeah i mean if you spend much time in the woods hunting you know if you're out there you know climate change is happening yeah absolutely you know that that's not it's not a, a, a it's, it's not real a it's real it's happening and it's unfortunate i mean look at this spring i mean at least on our hill the black flies were really late getting out I cut wood like crazy because usually in May you don't cut no. wood very easily. But 
until last week, there really weren't any black flies. They're out now. They are all bad. <laughs> Do you think it's easier to sell locally or mass produce? To- well, see, most of these customers are customers we've had for years. 20, 30 yeah. years. I mean, we've had them for a very long time. More friends than they are customers. So, you know, it, it's just... And, you know, I did, 400's a good number for us. Now, as we get older, because Larry Gaborio helps us, if any of you know Larry. Yeah, I know Larry very well. You know Roland Bickford? Oh, yeah. That's my grandfather. Okay. Yeah, so Larry is family to me. Yeah, he's one of the help gatherers. Very good carpenter at that. Yeah, but he got... I hurt my... Well, actually, it happened back in October in a freak accident at a Masonic ritual. Where we were, yeah, we were kneeling, and when you kneel, you kneel on your left knee. And we were getting up, and the guy next to me, I was helping out a, a outfit in Williston, filling in for them. And the guy next to me was huge. We're talking three fifty. We're talking offensive lineman, and he wasn't fat. He was, he was huge. Big guy. And he lost his balance. Oh. And so he kind of ended up. He didn't like fall on me, but he just kind of leaned into me with 300 and whatever many pounds he has <laughs> and hurt the sciatic nerve on Ooh. my right leg. And I thought I had cured it. And then three days later, my mom passed away. So I didn't start. I couldn't start rehabbing as quickly. I think part of the reason it got as bad as it did is that I had, you got to do what you got to do. Right. And so I thought I was over it during the winter. I did rehab and I Felt really good, and then t- when I snapped, started tapping on snowshoes, and felt it again. Well, if you did any snowshoeing this year, you'll know the snowshoeing was awful. Did it like twice? It was awful. I mean, they never. Usually, when you when you're snowshoeing, gathering on snowshoes, you get the path made, and it'll freeze hard, and then you you're all set until maybe one gathering when the, when it gives out. Right. Not this year. It was bad the entire time. Just wet all time. And yeah, it wouldn't hold you up. No. Go right through. Go right through. It was awful. Even by my standards, it was awful. And I, I couldn't really help them a hell of a lot. I could do the boiling and I drove, but Larry usually does the driving, and I think he got kind of worn out trying to gather on snowshoes. The, actually, the guy who saved us, because my son, the runs last this year came on weekends for whatever reason. Yeah, I noticed that. Is that my son came up for the first two. And then he couldn't come for the next weekend. And I was able to get, and I don't know how he didn't have a job, but uh, Alex Gagne. Yep. Yeah. He wasn't working during the vacation here. I don't know how the hell he wasn't working. And he, he knew snowshoes and he was great. He saved us. He absolutely saved us because that was our biggest run. He helped gather the biggest good. run. I think that answers all the questions that I have. Oh, I have one. Um, considering all the new things that are coming out in the sugaring industry, and you consistently being old school with the way you do it, um, where do you think it? Where do you think sugaring's heading? Uh, my prediction, and actually Evan Perrin, if any of you know Evan. Mm-hmm. He's a, he was just behind me and I know him through the Masons and, and he's a sugarer. He's been sugaring since he was a kid too, on Parent Hill. And we both think that sugaring is going to go the way of dairy farming. You're going to see it become concentrated in bigger and bigger operations. 
Because what you're beginning to see happen is even Coburn's and that Borland sugar place, and of course they bought the LaRue sugar place. So they're really sugaring two sugar places. They bought Celsa's too. And they bought Celsa's. And I think you're going to see a lot of that because I have a, uh, a former student down in uh, Walden named Jim LaCour. And he has a big operation. What he does now is he has an orchard, his home orchard, but he's also either bought or leasing two others, and they all sap in after they IRO it to make it more efficient. I mean, that, in other words, this is like a good idea. Yeah, and uh, oh, they do it too. He was a soccer player. He's six senior this year, and they have a big operation. They they have that if you when you go Angles. into no. When you go into Walcott, you know there's a thing on the right, right by the river? If it's in Walcott, it's the ankles. And they, you know, that's got an IRO. That's why the building's but no sugar place. There's an IRO in that. Yeah, they got an IRO there. Evan Inkle. Evan Inkle. That's who I was trying yeah. to think of. And you said Inkle? Yeah. I thought you said Ingles. Yeah. We, we interviewed him before you did, so that'll be perfect. No. Compare and contrast. Yeah, and so that's what they do. So that when they're hauling back, they're only hauling concentrate. When I was helping them out, they were ROing to six percent and hauling it to the sugar house from the woods. They only squeeze it to six. Oh, they're squeezing it at the woods to six, and then bringing oh. it to the big RO at the sugar house. Yeah, but remember, like, just taking it to six. Let's say it starts out at one and a half. That's a big difference. That's know. a lot of water to raise the yeah. Lamoille. Especially when you're dealing with 10,000 gallons at a time. Exactly. It I makes a big difference. I don't know if you know the Zabrowski's, Andrew. I've heard of them, yeah. Well, they have a little over 11,000 taps. Yeah. And my dad works from, he used to work for Pike. He gets laid off in the winter, so he works in the winter for Andrew. And they squeeze theirs to like 19, 20%. Well, what people have told me, and it's, it's a little different for each bush... But the general rule of thumb is somewhere between 8 and 12%, you can keep the flavor of your bush. If you go on beyond 12%, then you lose the maple flavor. Hmm. And the reason for that is what gives syrup its maple flavor is the sugar molecules need to, carbon, uh, to uh, carbonize. Right. You know, you ever done onions? Have you ever seen your parents... Do that yep. with onions? Yep. It's the same idea. So what happens is, on like sweet tree, mm-hmm. running it at what, 30%? Oh, yeah, easy. Yeah. So what it's happens is, grade. yeah, they got yeah, a brook coming in. It just basically runs across the rig because they have to. Yeah. They have to. They have to bring it to a boil or they can't call it syrup. Right. But it doesn't boil long enough to make any difference and just runs off. Right. So it's wicked light, but it's got no flavor, in my opinion. I don't like it either. It, it's, nah. it's sweet, but there's no maple flavor. So do you think that's what the industry is going to come to eventually? Is just. Well, you know, I know people like Bucky Shelton has an upper limit mm-hmm. that he won't go by. Taylor's. Francis Taylor and yeah. that crowd, they have an upper limit. But it Evan goes to 12, I think. But it's a matter of knowing your sugar place. How far can we go up before we lose the flavor that our customers expect? Right. Like if I was to do that, I'd lose, I suspect, all my customers. Because they wouldn't, they wouldn't want what I made. Yeah. They're buying a flavor. And I have to be careful. Um, do you remember the year... We had a week in March 
where it was like 80 degrees every day. You guys might... Yeah. You remember that? I do remember that, actually. It ruined sugar. It wasn't too, too long ago. Oh, well, it was... Five or six years? More than that now. Eight, ten now. Yeah, Maybe my math's a little bit wrong, but I do remember. <laughs> yeah, because what happened is, you know, I made 26 gallons, and then it, that happened. And what happened is the flavor went. Now, was it Buddy? No, it wasn't Buddy, but it wasn't the flavor. So I just quit sugaring because that's easier for me because then my customers will come, oh, that tastes all right. And I learned the hard way that they'll taste it and say, oh, that's all right. Then they'll get it home and say, oh, that's, that's not the flavor. What's he, doing? What's he doing to us? So I just find it easier, if it, particularly in a year like that where it was bad everywhere. It's really easy. And I just, I just stopped. Yeah. I just stopped. I think I made, I boiled one day to make syrup for us because we basically cook with it and put it on cereal so it doesn't have to be the world's greatest syrup. Right. But I, it was just easier than getting my customers mad at me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I brought along, these are another thing that I think, and it, these are what are called tree saver taps. And that's what all the pipeline people are using do now. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they, I think some of them have gone even smaller than this. They are smaller than those. 316s. Yeah. And what I love about this, you know, the, the reason they did it was to make it easier on a tree. Because like with a bucket, you put this hole in and some of the wood above and below dies. So you'll never get sap there again if you tap in that dead zone. Mm-hmm. Well, when they had the three eights. Yeah, that's a big hole. That's a big hole. And, you know, you cut trees and you can, you know, you can see the dead zone. Yeah, you can stick your finger in it all. Now, what's interesting with suction pipeline is that because it's an equal pressure, there's a circle of dead wood. Really? Think about it. Loggers have told me this. So you're saying from... I've seen it. I cut firewood and I've tapped a bunch of trees. You're cutting wood and you can see the dead spot in your ring when you get if you cut through that spot. And when you're tapping, you can just look at the tree with your eye and Tell. see the spot where it's been tapped. Like back maybe 8, 10 years. Yeah. Depending on how well it's growing. So like with buckets, you get a dead spot up above. And it depends on how much suction they put on. The, the circle of dead will vary depending on how much suction there right. is. Because loggers told me that. Because I was like, I wonder how that works. So I asked a logger who I knew was cutting in a sugar place that had been pipelined. He said, well, it's round. He said, it's really weird. It's round. And the other thing about these unintended consequences that I really like is the bucket sets on the spout behind this. And it's way stabler because what we used to have is these hooks that hung down below and a frickin' wind would blow them around. Really reef on them. But buckets set on these and it's very stable, way better, way better. They don't move in the wind. They don't move in the wind. Don't reef on the spout. So, yeah, other, uh, for me, I, by the way, have a hobby RO. Mm Mm-hmm that I bought three years ago. And I once, cause I'd gone through a three year period with sap testing two, two mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you boiling a two and a half by eight at two, two, it's boring. So I bought a hobby IRO and what that does is it takes sap out of your storage tank, runs it through and then you dump it back into your storage tank. You don't need a separate 
thing. Interesting. And then what you have to have is a, a little valve so you can keep testing what's in the tank. And then when you get the tank to where you want it, you shut off the RO. And it looks like it's on a dolly. Yeah, it's probably this size. No, smaller. It's small, about half that size. Just sets on a dolly like you would wheel <laughs> furniture around on. That's funny. And I've never used it because once I bought it, the sap's been so sweet since. I had one batch this year. We threw some ice out, but it tested four and a half. Percent? Usually I test between three, three, two. But that because there was a week this year where uh, the warmer sugar places, that was their big week. Right. But what happened with us, there was a cold wind. And it just was like a degree or two too cold up there. Mm -hmm. So it'd run about that much and then freeze. So next time you had this much ice and that much sap and then you had that much ice. So when it finally warmed up till towards the end of the week and it thawed out enough, then you throw the ice out and we always called it poor man's RO. Mm -hmm. yep. Because the ice freezes before, water. water freezes before, well freeze. not completely, but enough so it's very efficient. Very efficient. And that sap tested for... I had a whole tank of four and a half. And you don't like it being that high? No. I, I suspect my... I could keep my flavor as high as eight. But see, the problem is, if you're going to start doing that, you got to be careful. Because if you notice, they all switch their front pans and clean them. Yeah, everything. See, time. I can't do that. So I probably wouldn't... I doubt I would go past four anyway. I'd have the flavor I wanted, and the difference between 2% and 4% is half as much boiling. So you don't have an RO? I have just a hobby RO. Just a hobby? And I've never used it. I'm not going to remember how to use the goddamn thing when I finally need it. <laughs> and, and the guy I bought it out in Syracuse, New York, the guy will probably be dead I bought it for. <laughs> That's not good. Well, I have, I've got the manual, so. Yeah, you got that. Plus, between Evan and Bucky, they could probably talk me through it. Because it's just a basic IRO, but it's just interesting that, that the way that worked. I just thought because of the cutting of the big trees, that's what the f sweetness was going to be all along. And then mm -hmm. I think when the new ones got big enough and that went back to where it, basically what it was before. Mm -hmm. I was trying to think... Because we used together with a two-cylinder John Deere with a Dre. Mm -hmm. And the crawler and I were the same age. And if you remember Harvey Cleveland. Oh, I know Harvey Cleveland very well. Harvey always used to pick on me and say, you know what, it's going to be a contest to see which goes first, you or the crawler. And the crawler. Uh, well, what we happened is when Harvey closed. And when Harvey closed... You know, when you're, sh see, the deal with, with Harvey and with Amy Ots and any of those outfits I dealt with, the understanding was if you're sugaring and something breaks down, we're going to fix it. Amy Ots are my family. Yeah, I'm going to fix it immediately. However, during the summer when you're farting around with your tractor and something breaks, you're going to wait until, the far until we've got a down period because the farmer's trying to, hey, get priority. Right. And that's the way it was. But what happened when Harvey closed, there were still guys in the area that know how to fix it. Mm -hmm. Gene. And you could get part. You can get parts. You might have to have a milled special, but you can get them. But, you know, when sugaring, you got to sugar. You can't. 
wait for the equipment to yeah. be fixed. And nobody has those little... Because one time it broke, and I um, borrowed a, a guy, came and used his bulldozer, his little one. It mm -hmm. fit to Dre, worked out good. And he drove, and we gathered, and and then he worked on it as the parts came in. Because mm -hmm. uh, the guy who was driving, he got fired. Uh -oh. Well, I keep the tra roads open in the winter... But there was that was not as bad as this one. This that was probably three and a half, four feet of snow, and I had roads. But I told them, I said, do not under any condition go off the roads. Do not go off the roads. I don't care if you got to drive further. Do not go off the roads, because there's no bottom to this. Well, he had a full load of sap at the very top of the sugar place and decided to cut across. Hmm. Got out, buried it, and blew the, blew the final drive. Uh oh. Uh oh. I was. Not a happy camper. <laughs> now, the reality was if it was that close to going, it might not have made it through sugaring anyway. Right. But to have it happen that way, just, you know, if, I, you if you're it. working for me and I tell you to do, not to do something. Don't do don't it. And you do it, that does not make me happy. <laughs> I mean, if it's a crisis and you've got to make a decision, that's one thing. Right. But that was not a crisis. You just had to go. A hundred yards further. I don't, you know, I don't want to hear about it. Mm -hmm. He didn't get asked back. And he was a family friend. So that was awkward. That was very <laughs> awkward. I'm assuming you were talking about Henry and Alice. Yeah. Came up. Yeah. Yeah. Gene's my uncle. Yeah. When they closed, um, oh, he used to live up on, up off, just above High Street there. Yep. Uh, what was the guy's name? Um, he was their head mechanic. On that particularly that kind of equipment, and then when he, they closed and he retired, he fixed it at his house for quite a while. What was his name? You know who I mean. Yeah. And then when he got passed away, then Harvey did it, and Harvey they figured out, and then, but then when Harvey closed, it's like, I you know. Well, Henry and Alice's son, you know Gene? Yeah. Gene, that's what Gene does. Is it? Yeah, he does literally what Henry and Alice used to do, but all by himself. His garage is bigger than uh, Harvest Equipment, <laughs> and he's self-employed, and he has probably six or seven couple cases, John Deere's in there, that all need transmissions, and he's in there <laughs> pulling them apart by himself. Every little bit of it is all by himself. He has no hired help at wow. all. Because some of that stuff's wicked heavy. Yeah. And if you know Henry personally, he likes to work. Gene's the same way. 7 a.m. till like sometimes 11 o'clock at night over and over and oh, over. Oh, I like to work, but not that much. Me either. <laughs> so you just retired from teaching at Lake Region. Do you think you'll ever go up sugaring someday? Well, the reality is at some point, gathering's not going to be doable. Yeah. going to be all too old. And at that point... Because the sugar place, it's the top of Sheffield Heights, so mm -hmm. there's plenty. I would probably set up some vacuum, not uh, gravity. Gravity, just run it down to the sugar house, so I can keep farting around. Not a bad idea. All right. Well, thank you for interviewing. Hopefully, I didn't make you guys late. No, not at all. It was perfect, perfect timing. Oh, yeah. Perfect actually. timing. Thank you once again, Mr. Woodard. You're welcome. Okay. All right. Thank you, fellow Vermonters, for tuning in to this episode of Liquid Gold. Bernard out. Fruke out. Join us next time 
if we ever get that fucking lucky. 